Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. If you would with me this evening, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Story is told of a man who was a barber. He, uh, he came to church uh, one day and uh, someone shared the gospel with him. He came to know Christ. And so he left that day. He wanted to figure out a way in which he could share his newfound faith with those around him. And so he thought, well, one of the best ways to do that would be to, to, to share it with uh, someone when they come into my barbershop. So the next day he goes to his barbershop and he's at work there and a man walks in and the man says, can I get a shave? So uh, the barber says, yes, sit down, and he's getting his tools together. And the, the barber's trying to think in his mind. He's thinking, how, uh, what am I going to say? What are, the, what are the words I use? How do I best share the gospel with this guy? And as he's going through it in his mind, he's getting his, work, his, 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 his equipment together. And eventually he comes to the point where he realizes what he's going to say. And as he's got the razor poised over the man's throat, he says, are you prepared to meet God? In Luke chapter 15, we see uh, Jesus Christ did not miss an opportunity to uh, share the gospel. If you, if you look at, don't look there now, but in John chapter 4, we know the passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus Christ goes, uh, I guess you wouldn't say out of his way, he goes uh, on purpose through Samaria to meet the woman at the well who needed to know who he was, needed to understand him more fully, and because of that, I guess you might say detour, he was able to see what the Bible tells us is all the men, or at least most of the men in that town, come to know Christ along with that woman. Uh, we see Jesus not missing an opportunity. And uh, in Luke chapter 15, it's a unique passage. You, I, I'm sure that you have read this many times and heard this uh, passage preached many times. I just want to take a brief look at the three parables here. Before we do that, I really want to uh, address uh, the first two verses. If you would with me, Luke chapter 15 and verse number one says, Then drew near unto him the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you do give us to, to meet folks and to, and to share your word with them. Lord, we sometimes miss those opportunities, and we don't want to miss those. Lord, there are people that uh, enter into eternity without knowing you every single day, and, and it may be because someone missed an opportunity to share your word with them, to help them to better understand what their eternal future would look like. Lord, help us not to miss those opportunities. We thank you for those who are in this room who are saved, Lord, that one day, someone took the time and effort to come to them and share the gospel with them, each one of us. We've, we had someone that shared the gospel with us. Lord, help me not to be that one for someone else. Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in this tonight, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we have, uh, we have four terms that are given here. We have publicans and sinners, and we have Pharisees and scribes. Now, the term publicans and sinners, I think, they're fairly simple. The term sinners, from what most 
would argue is a very simple, fairly broad term, and probably used somewhat similarly as we would today. It's just someone who, uh, the, the way they would view it, a Pharisee or a scribe would talk to someone as, about someone as a sinner. The Bible refers to Mary Magdalene. Jesus removed a demon from her, and she, would, she was referred to as a sinner. She was someone who was not in church. She was not interested in church, right? We might call them and uh, refer to someone as an atheist or, or an agnostic. We, we, There's there's someone who's not interested in church, right? So you wouldn't go up to him and say, hey, you're a sinner. Uh, well, maybe you would. I don't know. Uh, what, whatever works. But the, the, the point is that the, the term here that the Pharisees and scribes are using is just a broad term to refer to them as, as people who are not interested in God, I guess you might say. The other term here, uh, publican, is uh, a term that's used. Uh, we, we see two people specifically, Zacchaeus and Matthew, or Levi, uh, where, where Jesus came to these particular men who were publicans. And if, if, if you do some research on this, uh, I was actually fascinated about this concept. The, um, the Roman government took things very differently, uh, I guess you might say, than the governments before them. If you know that part of the world, that part of the world was fought over for centuries and centuries and centuries, right? Still is today, right? And, and, and there was a period of time where the Assyrians came from the north there and took Assyria and, and, uh, and modern-day Lebanon and, and Jordan as well and, uh, and, and, the, and the northern tribes of Israel. Eventually, Babylon would come from, from on the other side of the Arabian Desert. They would come and they would um, take uh, Israel as well, Syria, all those places. And then, and then from further on, Persia, uh, would modern-day Iran, would come and, and do the same thing. And then from the other direction, you'd have Greece come along and do the same thing from, uh, from across the, the, um, the sea there. And then from even further over in Italy, eventually Rome would come. And one thing that was common about every single one of them is that they would put these nations to a tribute. The term used very often in the Bible is a tribute or a tax. One thing that the Romans did, it seems, that was different than all of the rest of them. Uh, some of them, in, fa- in fact, if you read uh, in, in, the, uh, in the prophets, we see that, the, uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar and some of the other kings as well uh, took, a, somewhat, took the current king out of Israel, removed him, and replaced him with somebody else. And one, one point it was, a, it was an uncle or a nephew, or, uh, and, and they get replaced, right? Because it's a guy that will probably follow me instead. Um, and, and actually, it was repla- the, he was replaced as well. A second one was replaced. Um, they would do that. They would set this man up. And then his job was to give him the text. When you read about Cyrus in, 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 uh, in Ezra and in Nehemiah, Cyrus was uh, ordered, and eventually Darius did the same thing. He said, go ahead and take the taxes from, from that side of the river. He said, when you get there, he, read them this letter, and anything you need, take it from my taxes that are coming to me. Right? So they, had tax, they would tax them that way. But the Roman government did something different. What they would do, and, and you can look this up, this seems to be a pretty common thing at this, at this is a very sh- fairly short period of time that they did this, but what they would do is they would sell a tax area, I guess you might say. So they might say um, this city, or uh, in, in, this, in this particular case, they might say Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, we're going to sell that, and, and a publican would be a man who would come to the Roman government and purchase that. He would pay the Roman government money for that area. And then now he has been granted the right to collect on everything he's paid and whatever else he needs to cover his expenses. So this is the way the Roman government did it. In other words, they got their money up front from somebody, they didn't care who, 
And then now they basically used their Roman soldiers, if they needed to, as, as backing to this man to, get, to collect the taxes back. He gets his money back. That man is very, very motivated to get his money back. <laughs> he paid it up front. So this man would then also have the authority to come back and get whatever is necessary. This might be a week where uh, his roof broke, fell in. And so this week, he might say, look, he, caught, he would catch a man. What they would do is they would sit at, uh, Levi would sit at the, at, at the table of custom or the receipt of custom, and they would find a very populated or very heavy, heavily trafficked area uh, coming in or out of the city. There was 12 gates, right? And, uh, and then there were, and they, were, they would sometimes sit near the, near the temple itself because a lot of people came and went, and that was a place where you would find them. And then when you'd see a guy that you realize he hadn't paid his taxes... You, hey, 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 come over here. And if he ignored you for too long, you'd just send a Roman soldier. Hey, go grab him. He needs to come pay his taxes. In other words, this man was not very well liked. I, I don't know if you've ever run into someone who was a, um, an IRS agent. I hear there's a lot more nowadays, so you may have more opportunity. I don't know. Um, but that's... If that's... A, I think about it this way. If you invited them over for dinner, they're a friend, maybe they go to the church... And you would invite an IRS agent over there, a friend. You, you might just be a little more careful that night that no tax papers are sitting out. Nothing to, like, trip them up, right? That they might have to do something about. You av- typically would avoid that type of person. If, if you got a phone call and on your phone it said IRS, you may not even pick it up. <laughs> you might just let that go to voicemail and deal with it later. Uh, we don't want to deal with taxes. That's, that's, it's, 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 it's not fun, right? Nobody wants to pay any more than they have to. And that's how the Jews, of course, felt at this time. So they would, they would go out of their way to avoid these men. And here we have, in verse number 2, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man, talking about Jesus Christ, receiveth sinners. He's basically okay with them, is the way they're saying. And eateth with them. You know, as... Um, as a missionary, uh, it, it feels like, I, th- I think this is the case, I, can, I think I can say this, um, no church wants to be the one that didn't feed the missionary, right? And, and sometimes they go, let's see, how do I say this? Um, we have had times when we ate more in one day with a church or with a pastor or with a family than I've eaten sometimes in a week. And we, we've had, we kind of have a running joke in our family. Sometimes um, we'll, we'll have conversations with the pastor before we're going to show up. And especially on Wednesday nights, it's, it's, it can be a little awkward because sometimes they won't say anything. And I'm not going to say, so are you going to feed us or not? I'm not going to say that, right? So, um, so, so it just doesn't get brought up. And so, you know, it's 5 o'clock. We're going to be at church at 7. Do we feed the kids? They're, 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 gonna, they're looking at us like, what, we're not eating dinner tonight? But if... But so often, the pastor says, after church, hey, let's go out to dinner. Now it's like 9 o'clock. I mean, that's so late to be eating dinner. And I, but I get it. Nobody wants to eat right before they preach, I guess. And, and so there's all these things. So the kids sometimes, will, as soon as the pastor will say that, we'll, we'll, we'll just realize it was, it was definitely every time. It's the night we just decided to go ahead and get something to eat. So now the kids are like, second dinner. <laughs> it's amazing. And we're sitting there like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to eat something. And, and no, we, we eat. Okay, that's a hu- it's a human thing. And 
Jesus is sitting at, at food with them, and the way the Pharisees and the scribes saw it is you sit at a meal with somebody, then that means everything they believe in, you believe in, right? I mean, this is not the case, but they're certainly making, they're making it like this. Real quick, before we move on, the term Pharisees and scribes, I know they're not exactly the same thing, but the Pharisees were essentially a group of scribes, and the scribes were men uh, whose job it was to write the Bible. So, so they didn't have copy machines, so they would sit there writing out the Bible. If you've ever had an opportunity, or you ever get one, take the opportunity to go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Uh, it, it's... It's, it's not there to present the gospel, so don't take it that way, but it's about the Bible. There's so much in there. They've done such an amazing job. But on one of the floors in that place, they have hired a man who is a certified scribe by whoever certifies scribes, I guess, and he's, his job is to sit there in that, I think it's on the third floor, he sits there in this, uh, at this table, and he's got a, he's got a, um, uh, uh, he's got a, I think they're goatskin. I think they're, I think they're goatskin that he writes the, the Bible on, right? In the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, he's, his job is to sit there writing. He writes on this table, and he's got a camera over him so that you can see it up on his big screens, his projector on the big screens as he writes. And, and of course, if you, if you don't read or write Hebrew, um, it looks like a bunch of, and I don't, it looks like a bunch of scribbles. Uh, it looks like, you know, uh, Asian, Asian languages use the kanji characters. It looks somewhat similar to that. And it just looks like, wow, there's so much detail. And he sits there painstakingly writing out each single word on his skin. And, uh, and in the end, if he makes a mistake, he has a whole process he has to go through to get this thing wiped off so that he can rewrite it properly. This man said that before he comes in, I ended up having a conversation with him. He said before he comes in every day, he sits down, or he, he, before he goes to the place, he has to wash himself, uh, which uh, is probably a good thing for all of us. Um, and, but then when he gets there, he said he starts, he has to prepare his mind, he prays, and then he starts writing out these words. And he said if he ever gets to a point where he has to, read, uh, has to write the word uh, of God's name, he has to pause, he puts his pen down, puts it away, and he goes and, and, and bathes himself again, and then he spends time in prayer before he can sit down and write out God's name. This man, I can tell you, more than anybody I've ever met, knows the Bible. Now, at least those five books, right? He's Jewish. He, he, here's what I would say about a scribe. They're not someone that you could argue doesn't know their Bible. And so here these men come to Jesus Christ. They're, Jesus Christ sometimes referred to them as lawyers. They were the lawyers. They were the keepers of the law. And their job was to be very careful with it. And they prided themselves on that to the point that Jesus calls them out for that. But here in this particular passage, the Pharisees and the scribes come and they, and they claim that Jesus is spending time with, with these terrible people. And he goes on and he tells these three parables and, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. The first parable we know, he tells, he tells the story about a, a lost sheep. It, what man of you, in verse 4, having an 100 sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. Just a couple of notes real quick. It's interesting to note that Jesus Christ says, if you have a lost sheep, one of 100, he could have said one of five. If you have five sheep and you lose one, you're going to go look for it. Well, of course. But he says one of a hundred. But not only that, he says you will go looking until you find it. You keep looking. 
How often have I run into somebody that I know, that I, and, and I know for a fact that they do not know Christ? At least by their life, they don't seem to, to know Christ. And I did nothing to change that. And Jesus Christ is saying here that that's our job. They're claiming that he is spending time with sinners, and he's saying, wait a second, I'm not trying to be like them. Jesus could, could very much be an influencer without being influenced. That's difficult for us. We get caught up in that. Paul even talks about that. He says, be careful when you're helping a man in, out of his sin that you don't get caught up in that yourself. We, we, we have to be very careful. But the fact is, we don't just avoid them. We can't just avoid them. How else would they ever come to know Christ if we just avoided those who were not in this room, who did not come to church on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night? We, we would never get to know them. They would never have that opportunity to know Christ. Jesus says you would go until you find him. He's, he's arguing that the way that they saw sheep, he saw people. He goes on and he says, in verse number 8, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not leave the ninety, I'm sorry, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. This parable, I'm told, you, you can read some different commentaries on this, but they all seem to agree on one area, that this was some sort of a headpiece that a father would give his daughter when he was giving her away in marriage. And it would typically at this time apparently have Ten pieces of silver around this headpiece. It wasn't necessarily something she would wear, uh, but she would keep it. And the idea, it seems, was that, that a, a man was often very much older than, than a wife at that time. And, and not only that, it was very common to see men divorce their wife for, for, for little or, or no reason. Uh, at, that, at that time, this was some, somewhat common, it seems. And so the idea was she would have these ten pieces of silver. If she found herself widowed or, or, or divorced, she would have these ten pieces of silver from which she can live for some period of time. In America, we have a hard time relating to this because if I don't have money, at some point the government, I'll get poor enough that the government starts giving me stuff. Uh, but, but that was not the way it was. You ran out of money, you died eventually. You know, the, the woman that, that, that Elijah comes to, she, uh, she, says, she says, I have enough meal for my, me and my, to make a cake for me and my son and then we're going to die. That, that was life. And so that, those coins, that silver coins there, if she lost one, that represented time of life, an amount of time for her. So it was very important. Now, I would argue that Jesus here is not talking about uh, being very careful with our money. That's not his focus in this passage. What he's saying is the way that we treat money, the way that we view our money, is the way that we should see a lost soul. I had a pastor one time, or we were at a church, rather, and, and, and a gentleman handed me a $100 bill. I didn't realize what it was. He just handed it to me, and I stuck it in my pocket, and, and we moved on. And the pastor ended up, we ended up going out with the pastor afterwards, and uh, I got, we went to go get back in the car. We said goodbye to the pastor, and I went and put my hand in my pocket to grab my keys, and I realized that $100 bill was not in there. And I thought, oh, and I didn't know what it was at the time. I, I, I knew it was some money, but I didn't know what. And I thought, hmm, how much time and effort do I spend looking for this? I thought, what I realized I, pretty quickly was I think I pulled my keys out of my pocket and it must have come out at the same time. So I thought, well, we're driving by the church. I'll just stop there and see where I parked. We pulled in and I, right where I parked and I looked and there was a $100 bill sitting on the ground. <laughs> 
And I thought, oh man, I just, it kills me to think of, uh, of money just being wasted. Just, uh, I mean, I, someone else would have picked it up and used it, I, I'm sure. But here's the thing. If you dropped a $100 bill on the ground, how much time and effort would you, look, would you spend in looking for that $100 bill? And I know if you, put, if, you, if you do a lot of driving, you'll find that $100 doesn't go very far <laughs> in gas anymore. But it's still something. And we would still spend some time and effort. But the fact is, so often we don't put that same effort into finding a lost soul or to, or to, or to sharing the gospel with a lost soul that we know. Jesus gives us one last parable here. And it's the parable of the lost son. And uh, in this passage, of course, the son asks for his inheritance ahead of time. The father uh, gives it to him in some format, it, some, it seems, uh, at the end of it all. Before, by the time he gets ready to go out on the road, it seems that he has some form of uh, coins or something like that. He, he seems to, uh, to, to turn it into some form of cash, and he, he, he walks away. Imagine he walks away with a bag of coins or something like that. And he walks away and never looks back, it seems, he goes to a far country, and Jesus Christ tells us this young man wastes it on riotous living. The fact is, in the end, uh, the money is gone. And, and here we have him living in a place that now has a famine in the land. Food is scarce anyways, and no one would give him anything to eat. And he's desperate. How desperate would you be if you had nothing to eat? And so he comes to a position where he says, I'm going to go work for a guy, and the guy sends him out to feed his swine. Now, uh, today, in America, today, I would sit here and I would say, someone's got to feed the pigs because otherwise we have no sausage and bacon, right? That's the way we see swine. But that is not the way a Jewish person would see swine, and it's certainly not the way a Pharisee or a scribe would see swine. That was absolutely off limits. He's talking to, to men who knew the law and knew that this was not acceptable. And this young man's now feeding swine, I heard someone put it this way, he found himself in a position where he was the servant to a pig. It's a bad position to be in. Not only that, he's so desperate that he would eat after the swine. Now, they're, they're dirty animals. I get that. I've seen, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm going to say it. Some people eat after their animals. That is absolutely one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Especially cats and dogs. They, they, I know that you have them inside your house and everything. I, I get that. But, I mean, eating after an animal is absolutely gross. But a pig? I mean, it, this is as bad as it gets. This is what Jesus Christ is trying to say. This is as bad as it gets. And he finally comes to himself, Jesus Christ says, and he comes to himself and he realizes, wait a second, that father that I left, the one that I thought I didn't want to be under, I left, I took all my money and left, yeah, he seems pretty good right now. His servants live better than I do. And so he goes back to his father. Jesus tells us in verse number 20, he arose and he came to his father. It says, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither, hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. The fact is, Jesus is Christ is trying to say here is that I'm looking for those who were lost. I spent my time looking. My head was up. I was actually looking out. The father saw him a great way off and had compassion on him. 
Jesus, it tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes because they were a sheep having no shepherd. He had compassion on them. Do we have compassion on them? I'll close with this. The story is told of a young man, and you can look this up, who was playing basketball with his friends in May of 1998 in Chicago when rival gangs on either side of the basketball court began shooting. The young man's name was Christopher Searcy. Christopher took a bullet to his aorta in the process of that gang fight, and uh, his friends rushed him to what was once the Ravenswood Hospital. They got him within 40 feet of the entrance, on the, had them on the sidewalk outside the entrance, and one of his friends ran inside and, and, and asked the emergency staff for help. The emergency staff re- responded that they could not help him because he was the, the hospital's policy was that you can't, they're not allowed to help anybody that's not on hospital property. Uh, the young man ended up finding a police officer who eventually found a wheelchair. They wheeled Christopher in, and uh, about an hour later, Christopher died on the operating table. And the world was outraged, or at least Americans were. And uh, the fact is this. As a church, how often have we acted the way that that hospital act? How often have we said, if they would just walk in that door, we could help them? I could change their eternal future. I could show them the gospel and they would, they would know they're going to heaven if they would just get themselves in that door. And, and, and they won't. And you say, well, that's their fault. That's their problem. Ezekiel was told by God, he said, you are the watchman. It is your job. They will die in their sin if they don't listen, but it is your job to tell them and I'll hold their blood on your head because you didn't tell them. Now, I know that that's not a direct correlation to today, but what I'm saying is this. God has still called us to be the watchman. It's not even about um, different, unique ways. I know some people go street preaching. Some people go door knocking. There's, there's, a, there's a, probably hundreds of different ways that you could share the gospel with people you don't know. I'm not even talking about that. What about the people you do know? What about the friends? What about the family? What about the neighbors? What about the coworkers? What about the people at the, at the, at the store that you maybe see on a regular basis? People that you know, a face or a name that you know, and you know that they don't know Christ. Have you shared the gospel with them? I can tell you that I have had coworkers that I worked with for many years, and I realized after the years that I had failed to ever once bring it back to the gospel. That's not a failure that I want to be on me, and yet that I might be the only person they ever meet. They may never meet anyone on your pastoral staff ever, but they met you. You were their opportunity. And they slip off into eternity without ever knowing Christ because I didn't share that with them. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.